morning. Thank you, Nathan. Uh, turn to Second Timothy. We're doing the first chapter and part just a little bit of the second chapter. Paul, an apostle of Jesus of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of life in Jesus Christ. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father and Jesus, uh, Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience and why my forefathers, the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mind, mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. And for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has never given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, and join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to our own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. To but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound word which you have heard from me in the faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Guard, with, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among who are Parglas and Armogens, the Lord grant mercy to to the house of Omphares, for the, he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. And when he was in Rome, he generously searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you know well, very well that what services he rendered at Ephesus. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, and the thing which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, those entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, suffering hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You may be seated. Good morning. Thank you, Bud, for filling in there. Appreciate that.
have a few words to say before I get right into the text. I'd like to make mention of a uh, little activity from the early in April. We went up to Marion University there and saw the green collection of biblical antiquities. And I just wanted to give a short personal testimony of how meaningful that was to me. I was moved as I saw how the Lord had worked through and in spite of flawed human beings. That was encouraging to me. Through this, through flawed human beings, flawed by the fall, and after years of degradation, still the Lord worked through them to preserve and deliver His pure word. There were many who endured hardship as good soldiers of Jesus Christ, copying, translating, and disseminating the Word of God. I was overwhelmed with, with gratitude and praise for the Lord's goodness and mercy and sovereignty overall. And I was encouraged. Encouraged to proclaim His Word, to endeavor to be ready in season and out of season, to convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and teaching, knowing that it is God who works in us, both to will and to do for His good pleasure, can give us great confidence when we're not trusting in ourselves. We don't need to. He's given us His Spirit. He will accomplish through His power what needs to be accomplished. And related to that, I believe I can speak for Kevin and Steve as well, that the elders among you, that our desire is to faithfully minister the Word as stewards of Christ, the head of the church, to minister under His leadership, guided by His Holy Spirit and relying on the Spirit's power, the Spirit's power that's in, at work in us all, that we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. We endeavor to discern through the Spirit what Christ, the Chief Shepherd, wants to speak to His church. We make plans accordingly, but we depend on God to direct our steps. And we depend on His living and active Word to do His work. May His living and active Word do His work today. I'm not seeing the yellow binders, so I think maybe what we can do is just... Oh! I just wasn't seeing them. If there's enough around, would you please turn to page 32? And I would like for us just to join together in a prayer. We can just sing a cappella. Desire to pray and ask the Lord's blessing on His Word, and I thought maybe this would be a way that we could do it together. I want to speak a little bit about the historical setting and significance of this letter, the second letter of Paul to Timothy. It was written from a Roman prison where he was chained for preaching the gospel. See this in chapter 2, verse 9. It is a very personal letter. Though he mentions several aspects and plans for ongoing ministry, Paul seems to know he is nearing the end of his life. He tells Timothy plainly, The time of my departure is at hand. Chapter 4, verse 6. He longs to see Timothy before his death 
and he asks him to come as soon as possible, bringing a coat and books and parchments he has left behind at Troas. He urges Timothy, two different places, be diligent to come to me quickly. Do your utmost to come before winter. Some examples of how personal and, and uh, even intense this is. I believe there's much emotion behind the words. Many of the personal appeals and exhortations seem to be infused with urgency, though he still hopes to see Timothy one last time. The letter has a tone of a loving farewell. You might say it was a final blessing from a father to a son. In which he speaks the things that are most important for Timothy to hear. He gives final instructions and solemn charges to his son in the faith. Some examples are in chapter 1 verse 6. Stir up the gift of God which is in you. And then two of the verses that were read in chapter 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And then in verse two, or 22 of the second chapter, flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Paul warns that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. And this self-centeredness and rebellion against God leads to all sorts of ungodliness. He further warns that men will turn their ears away from the truth, wanting their own more palatable brand of truth, looking for teachers to provide what pleases them. In light of this, Paul solemnly charges Timothy to faithfully preach the word, being mindful that it is not his hearers, but the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge his faithfulness as a steward of his message. But there is one solemn charge that stands out from the rest, because it is foundational, one which incorporates the other more specific charges and gives them context and purpose. And it is for this reason, the foundational nature of this this charge to Timothy, that I began to be drawn into the study of this text a few weeks ago. And to have an increasing desire and burden to bring this message before the church. The foundational charge is in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Paul charges Timothy to hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. It's not hard to see that this charge is directly applicable to the leadership of the church. That is the primary thrust of the text. I feel keenly the responsibility to speak this word and at the same time to hear it and receive it and walk in it. As elders among you, we need the power of the Spirit to walk in his ways in obedience to his word as much as anyone. I already have been humbled just in the last day or two as 
Lord opened up some further things that I had not seen before. It really drastically changed the, the tone and direction of this message. I pray that the Spirit of God speaks mightily through His Word to the leadership of this church. But it is also true that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And the more I pondered what the Holy Spirit was speaking, as I considered its setting and significance in the context of the whole letter, the more vital that central message seemed to be, vital for this church right now. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to show through this text that the purpose and the way and the spirit in which we walk before the Lord, carrying on his work on earth till he comes, are of utmost significance. I pray that as we approach this text, we'll be reminded of the proper approach to scriptures. The scriptures in this very letter reminds each of us to be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The message of the scriptures is integrated. It is whole. It is to be understood as a whole, not just a myriad of individual commands. Each and every part, each and every command is the true word of God and is to be loved and obeyed. However, not how we might choose to understand and implement, but how he has chosen and revealed and modeled. If we are to rightly understand and minister God's word, we must first personally know the word made flesh, and then look to him as the source and revealer of truth, and our forerunner, the perfect modeler of truth. For it pleased the Father that in Him, Christ, all the fullness should dwell. Colossians 1.19 And Ephesians 1.22-23 And He put all things under His feet and gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. So as we look again at 2 Timothy Chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, together with the first two verses in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has succinctly set forth the primary task of leadership in the church. To hold fast the pattern of sound words which we have heard, and commit what we have heard to faithful men. We must understand that what is meant by holding fast the pattern of sound words which we have heard, before we can consider what it means to commit what we have heard to faithful men. So we'll begin at verse 13. And I'll just let you know at this point that today we will get no farther than verse 13. It is the center of this central message. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Hold fast 
Hold fast to what? Hold fast the pattern. What pattern? The pattern of sound words. In Titus 1.9, we find a somewhat similar sounding verse. Speaking of qualifications of a bishop, an elder in the church, a bishop must be blameless, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Now, some similar elements there, but they're in a different form. I want you to note and listen for the... I'll purposely stress this. A bishop must be blameless. I'm skipping on the, the verses between here. And then holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. That's not that he has been taught, as he has been taught. Do you see the implied pattern? And it's in, in doing that is what he will make him able by sound doctrine. There's the sound words. Both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So, how was he taught? What is the pattern? In no way should this be understood as diminishing at all the need for sound doctrine. In no way. But there's an additional element in this text that we need to bring out. There is a pattern of how the pure word is passed on. We're going to look at a series of scriptures. I may mention their references briefly, but I ask you at this point not to turn to them, but just to listen, please, because they're, they're short, and we'll be moving to the next one before you get there. Recall that we just went through Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus' teaching. Sound doctrine indeed. Sobering, sound doctrine. And contrasted with the teaching of the Pharisees. And his righteousness contrasted with theirs. Theirs was totally inadequate. They could not even enter the kingdom of God. But did Jesus just teach by speaking to his disciples? In John 5, 19, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Right here is the first of the example of the pattern. Jesus, our forerunner, has demonstrated for us the pattern of sound words. He said and did what he saw the Father saying and doing. (coughs) 
in Luke 6, 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Not just will know everything his teacher knows, but will be like his teacher. This is the pattern. Not just information. John 14, 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long? And yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? It was expected that there would be results from having been with Jesus so long. Now there was. (laughs) There was a significant change coming, yes. But Jesus set the pattern of spending time with the disciples. His words... His pure words, his sound words, were lived out. And look some some exa- uh, additional examples of how Jesus taught them by example, and taught them to walk them out. <clears throat> In Matthew four nineteen, then he said to them, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." I'm emphasizing some of the words that are connected to the pattern, his plan. In Luke 9, verse 1, 2, and 6, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Then in Luke 10, After these things the Lord appointed seventy others also, And sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. How do you suppose they did? I try to imagine what I might have done. I would stumble and bumble through that. I would not feel ready. I doubt if they really felt ready. I mean, they came back amazed at some things that happened. A year or two later, perhaps, they're still arguing about who's the greatest. Hey, there's, there's work to be done. But early on, this is my point, early on in their walk with Christ, the Lord is, is sending them out to practice what they've learned. Acts 2.42. And they continued steadfastly, speaking of the influx of disciples. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. I don't know about you, but every other time I've read that, until yesterday, that has hit me as apostles' doctrine as in sitting, listening to what they have to say. Absolutely, that was happening. They they were teaching Jesus' words. But if they were following Jesus' pattern, that was not all. They were making disciples. Not just by telling them his words, but helping them walk them. Because that's what Jesus did. Why would they be training, making disciples some other way 
than what Jesus did. In 1 Timothy 1.16, However, for this reason I obtain mercy. Paul is speaking about himself having persecuted the church, imprisoning and killing, voting for their death. However, for this reason I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are willing to believe on him for eternal life. I'm pointing now to different places that, where the scriptures speak of pattern. It's important to God. When he determines what the pattern ought to be, he sticks with it. A few years after Paul's conversion, Barnabas went to Tarsus to find Paul and brought him back to Antioch. Remember that Paul had received many revelations during his time, mostly alone. But now it seems he needed further teaching. Now he was going to be of a help too. But he who had received so many revelations learned at Antioch how to function in the church as a brother. And then as a servant leader. And then as a church planter. Eventually a wise master builder. Because God's hand was on him. But it was according to the pattern. It seems that the Lord had chosen Barnabas and perhaps other teachers in Antioch as well to stand in the place of practical coming alongside. Because Christ was not on earth. In Acts 16, verse 3, then he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. Paul evidently saw something, the gift of God in him, genuine faith. He didn't just pat him on the back and say, God bless you, brother. He recognized that he needed training in order to walk in his calling. And he took him with him, according to the pattern. In Acts 19.22, so he sent into Macedonia, this is later on, he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him. Timothy and Erastus. He sent him away to practice what he had been learning by just hearing sound words and observing Paul live them. You see God's attention to pattern in the Old Testament in Exodus 25, verse 9 and 40. He repeats it, according to all that I show you, that is, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. And then later in verse 40, and see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain.
So looking at verse 13 again in 2 Timothy 1. We're speaking of the pattern, the pattern of sound words. There is no question as to the importance of sound words, sound doctrine. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3, part of 5. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, the same word, translate wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords to godliness, from such withdraw yourself. If instruction from the word of God is not sound, there will not be sound walking, sound living. 2 Timothy 2, verse 16, But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Unsound teaching leads to ungodliness. We must be careful, give attention to sound doctrine. But again, in this particular text, it stressed the pattern of those sound words. And those sound words are sound words, Paul says, which you have heard from me. Paul was Timothy's teacher, according to the pattern. Christ and and Barnabas, perhaps, taught Paul. Paul taught Timothy. There's another important part of the pattern. Reading the whole verse now. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. First Timothy 1 verse 14 has the same phrase, with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Saving faith is not a sterile acknowledgement of a body of truths we have decided to believe are true. Faith is saving faith when it is faith in God who promised to save us when we trust only in Jesus Christ. Faith in God who demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We love him because he first loved us. Familiar passages, 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 13 of that chapter. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. You see that of those three, faith and love are the ones that are specified as uh, the, the way in which the sound words and the pattern is walked out. It must be there. In Colossians 1.4, speaks of, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. This morning when the men gathered, Steve read several verses out of 1 John that spoke much of the love the Father has given to us. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. If we look over in verse 10 of chapter 2 in 2 Timothy, we see a little more about the way in which Timothy walked, lived, learned from Paul. 
Paul is noting, in contrast to, uh, for example, in verse 7, speaking of ones who are always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. But in verse 10, speaking of Timothy, he says, But you, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, and persecutions. goes on to speak of that, that all who live, who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecutions. But you note that the, the doctrine, the truth of God is a bedrock, but included there is manner of life and purpose and faith. This is not just an academic exercise. So, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, <clears throat> Paul says a, makes a bold statement. Most of us, I think, would be familiar with this, but I want us to consider it. He says, follow me as I follow Christ, or imitate me as I imitate Christ. This passage, if we look at the first few verses prior to that, to get context, let's see what he's talking about here. It's an example of walking this out. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31 to 33, it says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Just as I also. He's expecting, he's not, he's not telling them to do something that he's not living. This is the, the pattern of life that he has set before them, and he's reminding them and calling them to it. Then that next verse is, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. You see the the sequence. Paul is imitating Christ. As he is doing that, according to the pattern, he is able to say, follow me, imitate me as I imitate Christ. is obviously not suggesting that somehow we're, our, our relationship with Christ is through someone else. But this is the, the way of training, of making disciples. Far from seeking praise or a following, Paul was desiring that his hearers imitate Christ. He's offering himself as an example of that. And he was living sacrificially, denying himself, setting aside liberties, as this context, this passage was, setting aside liberties that others might see the glory of Christ in his example. Is this not the mind of Christ? Isn't that, this how Jesus lived? Are we not to have the mind of Christ? Philippians 2, verse 4 and 5, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, 
but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then a few verses. We're back in 2 Timothy, chapter 2, or I'm sorry, chapter 3. And a few verses down from the verse 10, it said, but you have carefully followed my doctrine. He then says, but you must continue in the things in which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. That being assured of, translated several times also as convinced and firmly believed. He learned from Paul. He learned sound words, the words even of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he learned them from Paul, and he learned them in the way of being with him, training, making disciples according to the pattern that Christ set in training his disciples. Recall that Ephesians talks about the church being founded upon Christ as a cornerstone and the apostles as a foundation. Think about that in relation to this pattern. The building that he's building is going up. It's to not be done, not be accomplished in any other way other than the pattern that he has set. And as some verses in 1 Corinthians would tell us, our work, our work will be tested. Each man's work will be tested. You need to build with gold, silver, and precious stones. I suggest we better be building according to the pattern as well. Again, verse 14 of chapter 3, 2 Timothy. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. He's calling him, calling Timothy to remember from whom he learned this. Paul has been training him. Now, we find that his grandmother and his mother had genuine faith and no doubt it had much input into his life. So it could be a reference to that as well. But you can be sure that the main point is that Paul had taken him under his wing and trained him thoroughly to prepare him for hard work. Hard work that he left for him. Left him in Ephesus in the face of false doctrine. Imagine, just imagine for a minute, being left. Just, you know, you're along with somebody and maybe a little unsure of yourself. And he says, okay, you, you stay here and you take care of these, these tasks. And these tasks that would just blow our minds if we thought about it. And Paul leaves. How could he do that? How could Paul leave this young guy? He was a young man to start with. Facing multiple false prophets and various issues, he'd been trained. On the job training, according to the pattern that Christ Jesus had set. Let us hear when he says, 
Hold fast the patterns of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Hear the confidence. The confidence is not in how well he has trained Timothy. It's that he has trained him according to the pattern. He wasn't relying on his own capability. That is what will enable us to tackle things that seem monumental to us. If God has called us, he will empower us. It's, it's interesting that this verse 14 is set in contrast to the immediate verse. Which Paul warns about that evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And as he's already said earlier in verse 7, some will always be learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. But Timothy, being trained, has carefully followed his doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance. And as he continues in the things in which he has learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have, been learned, you have learned him, he's to recognize that from childhood he has known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. I found it difficult to find a uh, stopping point here because uh, we'll be continuing this next Sunday, just basically laying the, the foundation. And perhaps there are, because of there's more to come, perhaps there will be some questions. That's okay. Let's talk about it. Perhaps as we uh, sit at tables for lunch, we can talk about it. Again, I feel important to, to remind us that this is not somehow a, a substitute for sound doctrine. But would not the Lord have us follow his pattern of how to learn, understand, live out? Let us desire to be fully trained, to be like our master. He would desire to do that. I, I confess to you, there's some aspects of this that is overwhelming to me. As I think about how I've grown up, I, I think that perhaps it's not too dissimilar. One interesting thought that I had was that I hope it's interesting to you, maybe challenging as well as it was for me. Uh, many of us here appreciate uh, the opportunity, the ability to homeschool. We appreciate the reasons that the Lord has helped us to, to understand for doing so and desire for that to be part of our, our uh, ability to nurture our children 
in the ways of the Lord. But I venture to say that most of us, of you know, middle age up, uh, didn't experience that ourselves. You know what we experienced? Oh, public school, yes. But we experienced many negatives along with that. What was basically the, the, the model of going to school ostensibly to learn? What was the model? You go, unfortunately, it usually meant riding on a school bus, and you sit and listen. And when you couldn't stand any longer, the bell rang, you went out and played. You come back and you sit and listen. Is that according to the pattern? I honestly think that has a lot to do with the, the level of difficulty that we have in grasping the pattern of Christ. I'm 57 years old. And this... Understood the concept, basically, of mentoring, you know, the, the importance of that. But in terms of seeing this in the scriptures, I didn't see it as clearly. Why is that? Why have I been so slow to see that this way? Wasn't trained according to the pattern. Was not used to it. Not used to thinking this way. And I venture to say that in many ways, we still are accustomed to, dare I be so bold as to say, uh, having somebody stand up here and talk to you while you sit and listen. The problem is not that it's important. This is the pure word of God. And this is what we open and, and study and proclaim. But if that's all we do, okay, if that's all we do, are we walking and living according to the pattern that Jesus set, that the apostles followed? And this is what's amazing. When you consider the, the, um, the historical setting of Second Timothy, consider it this way. Paul is about to die. He seems to understand that this visit to a Roman prison is not going to end well. He was set free before. He doesn't expect this time. Okay? It's, it's, it's just about to the end. And listen as he says, This you know, Timothy, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom, and he lists some others, He's thankful for Onesiphorus because he sought him out. But consider that. This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me. Now, you wouldn't be able to say that all is like every last person. Uh, Timothy is in Ephesus, which is in Asia. He's writing to Timothy. But apparently, very many, or all the rest perhaps, have forsaken him. Not supporting him. Shamed of his chains or scared, don't want to get anywhere near, afraid they'd be chained up too, perhaps. 
Wouldn't it be discouraging? Now, maybe personally discouraging, but I'm saying in terms of the work the Lord going on, maybe this would be a time when Paul could say, you know, the way we've been doing this for 30 years, it's not working. I mean, things are tailing off. People are falling away. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. People are leaving, getting discouraged, slipping back into the world. It's not working. Well, Paul is telling Timothy, hold fast to the pattern. Don't vary. Because it's a pattern that Christ Jesus set. Don't vary it. Now what's that mean to us? When we look at our lives and we find that we really haven't started there. Mixed results at best. That's what I mean. It can be discouraging. Let us not be discouraged in well-doing. If the Lord brings this to our attention, he will give us grace when we humble ourselves before him and say, we need help. Incrementally, walk forward. Asking for help every step of the way. If you find that you've had some difficult trials, could be the Lord is at work, stirring up, desire. You know, he, he has a lot of purpose in trials. Let's be encouraged to walk with God according to the pattern and look for ways in which we can uh, immediately obey. Find a way that you can take a step and take it in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. The Lord will meet you. May God bless his word.